This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg along with my co-host Craig Blumenshine. Hello, Craig. It's the day before Valentine's it Day, is. Ashley. Do you do anything? We do. We celebrate okay. every year one way or the other. Some have been better than others, <laughs> I will admit, on my part. My wife's are always great. <laughs> well, in the second half of today's show, we dive into the difference of mindset here. Is Valentine's Day forced romance or is it a day set aside to honor romance? There is a difference there, for sure. And we'll keep relationships in focus in the first half of today's show. Dr. Ted Futris, he hails from Georgia, and he is a relationship expert. He spoke in Fargo recently, and he has great advice for all of us, whether you're teens, middle-aged, or older like me, or maybe hopping back in the dating game. Here's my interview with Dr. Futris. Dr. Futris, welcome to Main Street. Thank you, Craig. Glad to be here. What was your message to faculty and staff and students at NDSU? I came and talked about healthy relationships. A lot of the work that I do is developing resources programs to help educate couples, individuals, on uh, how to develop and maintain healthy couple relationships. Is your message different to people based on their age, in other words, someone like me, mm-hmm. who's now been married for almost 40 years, mm-hmm. versus maybe a freshman who really has never had a long-term relationship? It depends where you are in your relationship, but the skills that you need to maintain a healthy relationship, a satisfying, long-lasting relationship are fairly similar. If you're trying to get into a relationship, there's some unique things that you, you do to kind of learn about someone before you commit to a life with that person. But once you're in a committed relationship, research shows there's a certain formula of skills and practices that you follow and adhere to to really kind of keep that relationship going. Define for me, if you could, a healthy relationship. What is that? When we look at what a a healthy relationship is, it includes, one, being happy. Are you happy with the person you're with? Does that person make you happy with who you are? But then it's feeling committed. It's knowing that you're going to invest in each other and support each other, as we say, you know, through thick and thin. It's also a safe relationship where you don't feel taken advantage of, you feel supported, you feel nurtured. It's the absence of abuse. And so, so it's important that you are safe and cared for. So the steps that you tell people to think about For those of us who have been in a monogamous relationship for a long, long, long time, I hate to say it, but I think we all take that for granted sometimes, and maybe that's a dangerous thing to do. What steps do you tell folks that are really good to think about relative to either starting their relationship or maintaining them? I first tell folks that it's not easy. I often joke when I do trainings that these skills, they seem common sense, fairly simple, they're actually difficult to, to remember doing. And I often then remind myself, like, I'm reminded every time I do a training or a talk of the things that I'm not always doing well. And, and I find myself being a, a, a much better partner after a training. My wife then reminds me a few weeks later, when's your next training? <laughs> so, 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 I want you training once a week. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So, so these, aren't, these aren't easy things to always do. One, because... We're stressed, we're busy, it's easy to forget. So a few simple things might include just one, showing gratitude. Like you said, we, we sometimes take things for, for granted when we've been with someone so long that, um, that 
you get into this pattern and, and just the simple word of thank you can go a long way. You know, thank you for that meal. Thank you for helping out. Uh, thank you for taking care of that for me. Um, you know, just shows appreciation, shows your partner that, that, that they're, they're valued and that they're seen uh, and they're not taken for granted. Um, listening to each other, um, which can be really hard at times when you've got a lot going on in your head, a lot going on in your life, uh, being able to just turn towards your partner, just hear what they have to say, uh, turning off that TV or putting away that phone uh, to, to listen to each other. Um, you know, being kind in our words, which, you know, sometimes um, I think we, you know, we say what comes to mind and, and we think, well, that's just how I'm feeling. But, but then it's not just what you say, but how you say it that matters. So how do you share your, your, your needs, your wants, your concerns with each other? So there's strategies to soften those startups and soften how we talk to each other. Um, then, you know, just being more mindful and aware and, and, and sometimes knowing um, when you need to kind of take a step back, pause, maybe apologize. Um, you know, for, for something that might have happened uh, or been said. Um, and, and just knowing when you need to kind of say, okay, hey, we need to slow down and uh, step back and hear each other. We looked at one of our old calendars over the weekend from 15 years ago. It was our September calendar when school started. We had zero days that didn't have something on it for someone. Mm -hmm. And we look back and say, geez, how did we get through that just managing our children? And now I reflect, well, how did we get through that with our relationship? Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for real busy folks? Yeah, we're all all busy. And, you know, tell folks that couples, it's not the quantity of time that you spend together. It's not, you know, hey, we had a... A entire weekend to ourselves. It's not about that. It's it's about those small moments that you are intentional about creating. Whether it's that you know, ten minutes in the morning while you share a cup of coffee to check in and say, "All right, what's on the schedule today? What do you have? How can I be of support to you? You know, what do I need from you um, uh, today?" Uh, whether it's that just brief message. Uh, that you text or send to your partner to say, I hope you're having a good day today. Um, Those little things that make a difference. You've mentioned a couple times already in our discussion about technology, a text, putting the phone down, et cetera. Would your message to people have been different 20 years ago before, Mm -hmm. and I'm holding this phone in my hand that has my notes for this interview in it, before this thing became dominant in our lives? You know, I, I think the message would have been the same, the how would have been different. So, so as, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, just a, a, a text during the day to say, I'm thinking of you, you know, uh, remind your partner that they're, they're cherished, right? Uh, so we use our phone today to maybe do that. But before, you know, it was a little note you'd write and put in the lunch, you know, lunch bag 
or the box. I mean, we do this sometimes with our kids, right? We send our kids off to school. We put a little special note so when they open their lunchbox, they're like, hey, I hope you're having a good day. You know, good luck today on that test. You know, so so old school writing a note, hey, that still also works. Those are great, you know, uh, when, when traveling, you know, sometimes my partner, will, my, my wife will put, you know, a little note in my suitcase. You know, hope that talk goes well. Hope Craig is really nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her that I was, I hope. <laughs> is it how people meet each other? Is that at all reflective of how their relationship will be? And I ask that again in the context mm-hmm. of how people meet today is very different probably than how they met years and years ago. Yeah. It's not about how you meet. It's about what you do after you meet, right? So um, it's the time you take to really get to know each other. Um, It's knowing also what is it you value uh, in life? Uh, What do you uh, seek uh, in a partner? And, and, you know, dating is a series of trial and error uh, experiences where you're trying to figure that out until you kind of, Figure out what that special formula, special sauce is going to be in your life. Um, and so taking time to, to get to know the person you're with, uh, seeing that person in different context to see are they the same person, whether they're just with you alone, whether they're uh, with you and friends, whether they're uh, with family. Are, are they the same? Are, you know, is this truly the, the person you want to be with? Um, you know, I, I equate it sometimes to going uh, grocery shopping. Um, you know, if you go to the grocery store hungry, you know, um, without a grocery list, everything looks tasty <laughs> and good. Um, and you get to the counter and, and your cart's full of, of stuff you really don't want, but you're there and you're checking out and you're kind of, stuck with it now and you regret it when you walk out the the store and think oh my gosh i should i spent too much i've got too much but if you go planned with a list of here's what i need for the week here's what i want to eat here's you know then then you're more intentional and purposeful um and you leave with exactly what you found that you came to get and uh, you know and when you're young you're not you're not sure what it is you want but but you have a sense i mean you know your your family values uh, your your personal goals things that you do, uh, want out of life you know you then are looking for a mate that's going to be there and support you in that we're, way we're enjoying our conversation with dr ted futris a professor in human development and family science at the University of Georgia, and he was on the campus of North Dakota State University earlier this semester talking to faculty, staff, and students about relationships and relational health. Dr. Futurist, there could be some people that are listening now that might be thinking, boy, my relationship's in a good place. Mm -hmm. But their spouse may be thinking something very different. Mm -hmm. What are the red flags that people need to recognize and then your best advice for just putting the brakes on and doing a lot of the things you talked about earlier? Yeah. Well, first, let me, I I just want to reinforce and clarify that, you know, the work I do is more, is educational and focused. 
which is very different from counseling. So a lot of a lot of folks confuse what what I'm doing in terms of educational programs, um, and they think, oh, couples counseling. No, no, sure. that's not what I do. Couples counseling is very valuable, especially for couples that are that are kind of struggling, where one partner's feeling checked out, not connected. Counseling could be very helpful, but a lot of folks don't also feel comfortable going straight to counseling. So an educational experience, educational program um, could be a helpful starter. And so for those couples that are that are there where one partner feels like things are going really well and the other partner doesn't, um, I think checking in and just asking and, and seeing what is it that we can do uh, to, to, to move forward together. Uh, whether that's like, okay, well, maybe we just need some alone time. What's, you know, or maybe there's just stuff going on in, in their life that is really taking a toll on them. Um, we're seeing such a spike in, uh, in mental health challenges, folks that are feeling depressed, anxious, um, isolated, even when they're with somebody, that uh, sometimes they just need a little extra help. So maybe seeing, okay, well, what, what do you need? What can, do we need? to get some help. Read some of your research prior to us visiting, and I was really struck by the research that you have done relative to foster parents, those that host foster children in their home, and the impact that it can have on their relationship, Mm -hmm. something I never would have considered. Just thank goodness they're willing to host that young person or, or that child in their home, but boy, there's another dynamic that really couples in that situation probably need to think about. Absolutely, foster foster parents in general, uh, foster caregivers are are just wonderful and and kind hearted kind hearted uh, folks that uh, that are taken in children in need and you know they they get training um, and uh, annually to on how to care for children with certain needs. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of uh, a lot. Of processing that goes on with the state and local systems to do that work but often what's forgotten is especially when it's a couple um, that's caring for this kid what a toll it can take on their relationship you know so anytime you introduce something new into the family uh, it's gonna create kind of uh, some stress Um, and each couple varies in terms of how they handle and manage stress Uh, stress is going to happen but but the um but some couples manage it really well some struggle and so some of what relationship education can offer and specifically the program that we do called elevate offers is helping couples understand what it is that stresses them and finding strategies that will work for them on how to manage stress so that they can then stay connected You've also done work relative to supporting the prevention of teen pregnancy. Mm. Tell me about that work. And I hate to ask for advice again, but maybe what you tell parents of teens or even teens themselves. Mm. Yeah, so the uh, work with teen pregnancy, we we do youth-focused relationship education. It's never too uh, early to help start educating our young people about what healthy relationships are. Um, now some would say, well, they can just see what happens in the home. Well, if it's a, if it's a healthy relationship at home, absolutely. You know, hopefully that's something they're observing and seeing and, and, and will model. 
Um, but when you have so many children that are still exposed to divorce, are exposed to violence in the home, um, I mean, you've got just almost half of children, um, uh, infants born each year, are, are in to moms who are not married. So you have a lot of children grow up in unstable homes where um, there may not be two uh, caregivers uh, and parents. And so... So a lot of a lot of our teams um, are don't have those positive role models, and so what we do in in relationship education with young people is help them understand what is a healthy relationship because they just think that what they live have lived for their first 15, 18 years uh, is normal, and they think that's what a healthy normal may not be healthy exactly. And so they may just, you know, uh, may just feel that, uh, feel like, well, that's what everyone around me experiences. So that's what a relationship is. So we find a lot of kids when they go through the program, their eyes are open and like, oh wow, it could be better. Yeah, it could. And so here are the things that you can do. We we start off by emphasizing because adolescence is a time of of development, identity development. They're trying to figure out who am I, right? And and they challenge uh, status quo, challenge their, their parents, and because they're trying to figure out who am I without you, right? And so they want to, and, and so they might dress differently, they might act differently. Uh, it's all part of that development. So we start off by focusing first on, well, who are you? And what do you want? And what are your values? What do you believe? And, and what do you want out of life? And finding, you know, an individual when you're ready, emotionally, uh, and mentally ready, uh, that fits that. We help them understand how to get out of a bad relationship. So we talk about breaking up and healthy ways of breaking up. When you see that this person is not treating you right or treating you well, we talk about managing conflict, uh, which also s- helps them deal with conflict that they might have with their parents or teacher or friend. And then we also you know, um, help them understand uh, how to use social media appropriately and safely so as to um, not hurt someone or, or get hurt, you know, so because, you know, you have teens using social media so much now um, to share information and, um, and that can be very hurtful for some depending on the nature of that information. <clears throat> You're a researcher. Mm-hmm. What has your research shown about your techniques and their effectiveness? And I ask that in the context of I'm guessing a lot of what you just told me about your interactions with young people doesn't happen across the country in a structured or formal way. So, you know, I've had uh, several colleagues actually across the country that, that do this programming. Uh, and there's a, a, a great group um, out in California called the Dibble Institute that's developed the program that we use called Relationship Smarts. And there are uh, many uh, organizations across the country that, that deliver this program in, um, in schools and in after-school programs. And the research that we've done that others have done as well consistently are showing kids, you know, teens' attitudes are improving in terms of understanding what a healthy relationship is. I think um, that's good news. Yeah. Generally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, and we're seeing that that links to changes in how they behave, you know, um, less likely to engage in risky behaviors, uh, more likely to delay having sex till they're in a healthy relationship. Because you know, a lot of the sex education programs 
that are offered, uh, that have been offered, really focus on waiting, either delaying or, or, or how to be uh, safe uh, when you are uh, sexually involved. But most, almost all of them uh, forget that sex happens often within the context of a relationship. So first, understand what a healthy relationship is, and then know that if you're in, not in one, delay. And oftentimes, it takes time until you're much more mature to have a healthy relationship. Along the similar um, chain of thought there, is that also why people, young people, are delaying getting married? The delay in marriage, I would say, is more an economic thing. Really? I think, I, uh, yeah, right. I think Interesting. We're, we're, you know, more and more are, 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 it's a success sequence. It's finish school, get a good job, then get married, right? And it's hard to get a good job, and it takes a while to finish school if you're going on to secondary education. Um, and, and I think that's one part of the equation. I think the other part also is more and more of our young people are growing up in homes and in communities where marriage is not the norm. And, and so it's changing kind of this attitude that, well, I don't need to be married in order to, uh, to, to be happy. From someone who looks at this from an academic perspective, mm-hmm. does that concern you? You know, I, my work is always focused on, on we want you to be in a relationship that's healthy and safe for you. Uh, now, research consistently does show on average individuals in, in a married relationship, on average, if, if the relationship is healthy, low conflict, they live healthier, wealthier, longer lives. Uh, so they are happier. They tend to... Uh, um, you know, take care of themselves better, uh, especially men, because men benefit from those reminders from their wives to go to the doctor mm-hmm. and take care of themselves, you know, right? Um, and, and they accumulate more wealth uh, over time. Um, you know, two incomes often is better, you know, much better than one. And, um, and boy, you know, I, I, I think I reflect personally, I'm like, I just don't know how I could have done it or my wife could have done it on our own raising two boys, it, it's just hard. So, and now there are a lot of single parents out there that do a incredible job raising their kids. They pull from a variety of resources, uh, family, friends, and, net, and, their, and their support systems. So this is not to say that single parents cannot do it, but it sure is harder. And I want to ask a, a closing question here for that single parent because there are so many parents who are make, meeting these challenges every day without a spouse or without a partner, but might be thinking that they are timid in hopping back in or doing it at the time when they have children in the house. A lot of discussion about that that I've read about. We have about a minute left. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice to someone who maybe tried, it didn't work out the first time, yeah. and here we go? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is, is take your time. Don't rush. Uh, and, and when you, with kids involved, um, engaging the kids in the process, not, maybe not immediately on the first or second date, but, but once things, you know, you feel are, are getting a little serious then then, you know, engaging the kids, because remembering that the relationship you had with the kids came prior to this new relationship. So, uh, so there's whole level, uh, 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 another layer, layer of, of programming related to forming step families. 
be a whole other topic yeah. to talk about. Dr. Ted Futris, he was on the campus of North Dakota State University talking about promoting relational health. Thank you so much, Dr. Futris, for joining us on Main Street. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Dr. Futris is the director of the Couple and Relationship Enrichment Laboratory at the University of Georgia, and our interview with him first aired in December. More Main Street after this. We'd like to thank the North Dakota Council on the Arts for supporting arts programming along with our members and other sources here on Prairie Public. This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg. And let me ask you this. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Oh, what just happened in your mind, in your heart? Did you get really excited or did you start to panic or did you get angry? What would be the difference between thinking about Valentine's Day as forced romance, like when your parents make you apologize when you're a kid, even if you don't really mean it, or a day set aside to honor romance. We are going to discuss that and other relationship questions today with Dr. Ron Werner-Wilson. He is the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences at North Dakota State University and the former director of the Marriage and Family Therapy Clinic at Colorado State University. Dr. Werner-Wilson, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. What are you doing for Valentine's Day? We'll be going to an Ash Wednesday service. Okay. <laughs> so not exactly the romantic answer I, I was anticipating. Uh, but, of course, faithful health, uh, spiritual health, important to a person's holistic health. So the, the questions that I was asking in the beginning here, am I even kind of on the right track of how to think about Valentine's Day? And can that really make a difference on, on how we go about doing it? You know, actually, it was a great intro because I think it captures uh, the different experiences of folks. For some people, it's this event that they look forward to that brings brings them closer. And for others, it's it sort of maybe conjures up a feeling of dread <laughs> um, because uh, the expectations can be high and perhaps even unreasonable for what you can accomplish uh, on this uh, day of romance. <laughs> right. You think of any Hollywood movie ever. And, you know, I sort of. It's not a surprise to think that somebody might wake up and assume that there's going to be a million roses in their room and their favorite chocolate forever and their favorite musician decided to do a solo show in the bedroom <laughs> you know, or, or what have you. So let's talk about managing expectations. What really is a reasonable thing to think about when you're trying to balance your needs, your wants, but also the fact that romance does have an element of surprise to it. It it does have both, doesn't it? Surprise, and and you do have to be planful, particularly if you're in a a long-term relationship. I think we like the romance, we like the spontaneity, but particularly if you've been in a relationship for a while, you can't quite maintain that same level of enthusiasm. You don't have that same spark. So you do have to plan (laughs) things. You have to have a date. Uh, You have to, if you have children, you have to plan to have somebody watch them for you so that you can maybe have 
uh, an opportunity to talk to your partner without being interrupted a hundred times. <laughs> so how do you suggest people go about even trying to get that kind of thing in the calendar and, and still keep it as something nice? It feels like a chore. Well, I, I get that. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's as essential as brushing our teeth. It's as essential as walking the dog. It's, it's something you just can't put off. You, 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 it, by putting it in your calendar, on one hand, you're saying you're trying to force something. But on the other hand, you're saying, this is a priority. This is important to me. I am going to put this on my calendar. And because it's in my calendar, I'm going to honor that. <laughs> you know, in the same way that I go to the dentist uh, to get my teeth checked, I, I'm, I'm going to go and, and, and have this opportunity to connect with my partner. How much of relationships is just looking at maybe where we can change our own mindset? <laughs> well, I, I think looking in the mirror is really important um, as opposed to if we're not satisfied with the relationship, we often will find something in our partner that may not is um, maybe disappointing to us versus uh, am I communicating? You, you, you talked about expectations earlier, yeah. Ashley. You know, and, and as much as I'd love to have uh, the opportunity to bring the Steel Wheels, who are one of my wife's favorite groups, into our <laughs> into our apartment to, to play some of their tunes, that probably ain't happening. Um, so so tempering expectations, and and what is it that I'm really looking for? So when I think of Valentine's Day, you you ask that question. What do you think about? Um, to ask yourself, well, what is it that I'm hoping will happen on Valentine's Day? Is it, um, is it that I'm hoping that I'm going to be showered in gifts or that I'm going to be co feel connected to my partner? Mm. And I think it's the second one that's the important one. Um, uh, research consistently tells us that we need to feel connected to somebody. Let's dive a little bit more into that. When you say feel connected to somebody, why is that important to our health? And are we talking a mental health or physical, emotional, spiritual health? Uh, all of those things, Ashley. I, I, I think um, we have shown time again that um, um, we are a species that needs to be connected you know, going all the way back to your Psych 101 course with Harry Harlow uh, and, and his monkeys, that, you know, when you had the monkey that was separated, um, and he could either spend mm. time in just eating or with the cloth monkey that served absolutely no function other than providing comfort, the, the monkey would go over, get the food it needed, and then as soon as it was done nourishing itself, would run back over and, and cuddle with that cloth monkey. Mm. If you took that cloth monkey away, those those, uh, and it didn't have something to cuddle with and, nur and to feel nurtured by and connected to, those monkeys became autistic. They became violent. So I, I think, you know, and uh, yeah, their monkeys were humans. Maybe their differences. But I think that's that was sort of some of the early research that, that told us how important it is to feel connected. Hmm. And over and over and over again, when we look at brain functioning and what's happening and um, the... the uh, uh, the amygdala and other places in our brain, we see things firing for us mm. um, when, we're, when we are with somebody. You know, research on somebody who's, who's um, going into an MRI, um, and we look at their brain waves, and we look at what's happening in terms of their, their neurological activity, if they're going in there by themselves versus if they're going in and somebody's holding their hand. 
Mm. So, so that that physical touch is important to us. We need, and that's 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 so you know all of those things: spiritual, emotional, physical, mental health, physical health. Um, uh, really, really matters to, to, to us to, to feel connected to somebody. We're visiting today with Dr. Ron Werner Wilson. We're having a discussion with this relationship expert about Valentine's Day and how we often set ourselves up uh, for a failure on this day. And, and Ron, you were just talking about connection. And I wonder if we can dive a little bit more into how different people would value connection and how to honor that. For some, it might be a conversation. For others, it might be dancing in silence or cuddling. How do you recommend (laughs) when romantic partners have two very different ideas uh, of what connection is? For one, it might be watching the Super Bowl together. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's really insightful that folks do have different needs and and to be intentional about that and 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 you know i need to make sure that i don't assume i know what my partner wants because if i do i'm probably going to give them what i want not necessarily <laughs> what they want so, so in the same way that if 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 i'm not feeling well i like to just go to the bedroom close the door and be alone mm. I, I don't want anybody to bother me mm-hmm. versus somebody right. who i want y- someone to make me soup and y- rub my feet and exactly. <laughs> bring me a monkey to cuddle with <laughs> so so i i need to make sure uh, I, I think the response to your question is to make sure that i understand what it is that you want mm. um and then to be clear about what it is i want so that um I think the trap of Valentine's Day is because of those expectations, we can become disappointed. Mm. So we can have, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. So instead of (laughs) feeling connected to my partner, I can feel further away from them because they've not given me what I wanted. You know, did I want, you know, a big uh, box of chocolates or did I really just want to sit on the couch Mm -hmm. and have you rub my feet? Um, and so to make sure that I don't get, you know, my partner doesn't get caught up in all these grand gestures when what I really wanted was just some quiet time uh, sitting together. Mm. Um, that, that can be priceless. It, it, it maybe, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't feel as magical or it doesn't look like, like the television ads, which are programmed to help us spend, what is it, billions of dollars every year oh, for Valentine's it's, it's Day? It's a shocking number, yes. So it, it, it doesn't feed into the... the um, the, the frenzy of buying things, but sometimes those quiet things, going for a walk, um, sitting and listening, d- dancing without saying anything, you know, just holding your partner and, and dancing. I had a colleague when I was training to be a marriage and family therapist. She and her husband um, would, would, were um, ballroom dancers, and she described it as just amazing foreplay. Um, <laughs> you know that that going there and just holding each other and and yeah. and, and moving around um, together, uh, and then th- you know part of the nonverbal and the physical part of 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 that uh, relationship yeah. when they were dancing. Yeah, yeah. Let's go there into the sort of nonverbal communication and and different ways to set ourselves up for success. Dancing is one. Dancing is one. What else you got? <laughs> well, listening. And, and how are you doing? What's going on for you? Um, how, how are things going? Um, we have a real interesting, and, and, and I'm not sure that we've, we've nailed down if this is socialization between women and men or if it's something uh, more primitive, but men are more comfortable 
in shoulder-to-shoulder conversations. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they go to a sporting event or they, hang, they, they go to a bar and they're, they're sitting and they're not making eye contact with their buddy. Yeah. Women tend to prefer conversations with their making, when they're making eye contact. They're sitting across from each other, nodding and, and, and taking in all of those cues. Right. And so I don't know if it's, it's men are like silverback gorillas who see direct uh, eye contact as threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we haven't quite figured that out. But how do we negotiate just a basic difference um, in, in terms of how we connect? Um, one of my major professors when I was working in my master's degree discovered this about her husband, that he was far more comfortable when they took long car rides and they weren't making eye contact. So she invented trips for them to take Mm. so that she had the best conversations I ever had with him were when we were in cars driving someplace and so he didn't have to look at me. Meeting him where he's at. Right. Um, Now, that said, I think there's also, if if that's, if, I think we both need to, 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 to challenge ourselves. So if I'm not comfortable with direct eye contact, I need to, st- I need to make an effort to, to at least nudge myself to do some of that and, and help myself gradually get more comfortable with it. So, so you said meet where we're at. I think both people, not just women need to meet men because that's usually the message we send to women. It's your job to figure out what he needs and then do that. And I, I think that's, that's um, gonna create resentment and that's not gonna create connection. It's going to create this this sense of why is it always me? Why do I have to accommodate to him? Emotional labor. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It is emotional labor. And so we need to, both people need to be um, making an investment in that emotional bank. Yeah. Uh, give us a little bit better definition of emotional labor. I just said it. You agreed, but you're an expert. <laughs> what is emotional we, labor? So we both know the jargon. Um, <laughs> So emotional labor is the work we do to help our partner, help help anybody. It doesn't have to be a partner. It can be our children. Mm-hmm. We could do emotional labor with them, helping them to uh, feel connected to us by asking them questions, following up with them, um, kind of un- trying to understand their perspective. Um, and, and maybe even sometimes, like if it is with a child doing emotional labor, um, uh, that seems painful, or you, you know, can, can you tell, you know, as as you're talking to them about some experience they might have had at school, whether it was being, they didn't feel accepted in a group, or their feelings were hurt, to try to help help them name that, and so it's the effort, the labor of trying to um, understand and facilitate a conversation about emotions. You just set, used an interesting phrase. Try to name that, Ron. Why can you be so angry about something, speaking for myself, uh, and and let it ruin a day or two days, and then the second you kind of write it down in the journal or say it out loud, it's like it just doesn't matter as much anymore. What is that? It, 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 it does lose some of that um, control or power over us, I think, to say it out loud. Hmm. Uh, you know, wh- or, or or to journal it, to, to 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 acknowledge it. I think is the issue in both of those cases. If I say it out loud to a, fr- if I go and I have a beer or a coffee with a yeah. friend, and I tell them about something that's bothering me, by by acknowledging that both to them and then maybe even to myself, it takes away some of the strength of that. And so the the more I can acknowledge that and say, gosh, that really did bother me, um, and and often sometimes with anger, uh, as your example. 
is that anger covering something? Is it, um, is, 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 am I preoccupied with, with that anger because I'm feeling rejected or I was feeling judged or I was feeling um, uh, um, some kind of vulnerable feeling? Mm. Um, that's particularly troublesome for men. Um, we get we get just a couple of emotions, you know. Um, y- if you see those pictures in, in a daycare center today, I feel, and it's got twelve, fifteen different mm. faces, anywhere yes. from you know from from frustrated to um, disappointed to uh, you know to angry. Uh, men often, you know, the one as a as a therapist, my experience is that they they often will talk about is anger. But that's really kind of a cover for feeling hurt or rejected or inadequate. Uh, you know, when you said that to me, I felt inadequate. And so, you know, they, they respond really strongly yeah. because men really don't like to feel inadequate, actually. Yeah. Would you call that a response or is it more of a reaction? And then define for our listeners the difference between those two. Well, I think sometimes our initial fight or flight response can be more reactive. And, and I think to ask uh, ourselves now. Why did I respond so strongly to that? What's going on here? So it's, you know, sort of, you know, that 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 metaphor of peeling an onion. Let's let's peel a layer back. And why did that? Why did I respond so forcefully to that? And and it can be particularly um, um, uh, puzzling to the person we're interacting with. They can just kind of look at us like, no, what was that all about? Yeah. We're visiting today with Dr. Ron Werner-Wilson, the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences at North Dakota State University. One of the main areas of research for Dr. Werner-Wilson is marriage and family therapy. Ron, what about the people who don't care at all about Valentine's Day? Is that fine? I, I think we need to make room for those folks, and that's what worries me about the commercialization about the holiday, because if you're not having a romantic dinner, if you don't have a partner, somehow you have failed in life. Mm. Um, but there are a significant peop- number of people who just um, are better off or they prefer to be alone, it, it, not, not romantically inclined. We still need the connection, mm. but you don't have to have romance to feel connected. And so I worry sometimes that, that in terms of um, somebody feeling depressed or inadequate, you know, if they're comparing themselves to the person sitting at the table next to them that are gazing, you know, lovingly in each other's <laughs> eyes. Because uh, it's a first date. Because it's their first <laughs> date, exactly. Um, that somehow they may, they may come to the conclusion, self-judgment is such a horrible thing. They may come mm. to the conclusion that there's something wrong with me. I'm unlovable. And if I'm unlovable, therefore I'm not worthy. And if I'm yeah. not worthy, you know, so that's a, that's a really ugly spiral to be in. Um, and, and, and so what I would want to say to anybody is, is you don't need somebody else to validate who you are. Mm. Feeling connected is important. Uh, but you can do that in lots of ways. But there's nothing wrong with you if on February 14th you're enjoying a cup of coffee, listening to you know some of your favorite music in your apartment by yourself. Take yourself out on a date. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Ron, what is emotional intelligence? Well, I, I, EQ, intelli- emotional intelligence, is a lot like it. Um, uh, IQ, intel, you know, just intelligence, um, and and it's 
I don't know that everybody understands the importance of it. The, I think we've seen some fairly good research that the best managers, the best people to lead are folks who have a high level of EQ that, that understand um, that it's more than just um, the facts and figures. It's, it's, it's feeling connected. It's, it's those, those emotional feelings. And understanding that p different people have different emotional responses. And, 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 and somebody who has high IQ, EQ, excuse me, will check in and say, so how are you feeling about this? What's it like for you? Um, this has got to be, you know, really challenging. Uh, how's it going in your new job? Are you settling in? Is mm -hmm. there anything I can do? You know, so, so there's, there's a lot of empathy, but there's also a lot of being able to maybe anticipate possible feelings somebody could have and, and, and try to help um, give them an opportunity to talk about that. I did look it up. Forbes estimates that we will be spending $26 billion wow. on wow. Valentine's Day. Think of all of the things we, you know, <laughs> at, at the risk of being on a soapbox, think <laughs> of all of the things we could do in our world to help folks if we took just a fraction of that $26 billion uh, in, in this um, industry. To, to try to make the world a better place. <laughs> Dr. Ron Werner-Wilson, the Dean of the College of Health and Human Sciences at North Dakota State University. Dr. Werner-Wilson, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome, Ashley. This is Dakota Datebook for February 13th. During World War I, anti-German sentiment swept across the United States. This was reflected in the espionage and sedition laws passed to protect the home front. In North Dakota, the Reverend John Fontana was arrested and charged for violating this act. A German minister in New Salem, he had been arrested in 1917 with several other men from the area, all accused of making, quote, unpatriotic charges against the United States government and to have been otherwise unloyal, unquote. One of the charges against Fontana was that he had interfered with the sale of liberty bonds. During Fontana's case at Federal District Court in Bismarck in 1918, there was even discussion that allegedly a Bible was presented to Fontana's church at New Salem by Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany. Yet many testified that Fontana was pro-American and that he had prayed on behalf of President Wilson and the government, asking, quote, that this terrible war might be ended, unquote. Even the witnesses' characters seemed to be inspected in the public eye. The newspaper reports commented on how well English was understood, noting that at least two witnesses spoke it not at all, despite one of them living in New Salem for two years. Newspapers noted the draft status of some. The witness questioned about the Bible, allegedly from Kaiser Wilhelm, was described as someone who understood, spoke, and read German, but was an American. Fontana was convicted under the Espionage and Sedition Act and sentenced to time in prison. During that time, his congregation in New Salem rejected an attempt to get rid of their pastor, though an article in the Grand Forks Herald commented that this might have been because they weren't aware of the gravity of the crime. Fontana was released after appealing to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis. And in 1920, a notice appeared in various newspapers that he planned to publish a German newspaper in New Salem. On this date that year, as reported in the Bismarck Tribune, some local American Legion post objected to the proposed paper and publicly requested that the Postmaster General deny the paper's distribution by mail. Even later that year, a report noted that a man who recently died was not buried in the German Evangelical Church Cemetery 
reportedly because he had testified against Fontana. Fontana continued to be viewed by many as a convicted seditionist, yet he also had supporters. His unfortunate case serves as a reminder of the national frenzied concern around World War I that in some cases may have gone too far. Today's Dakota Datebook was written by Sarah Walker. I'm Bill Thomas. Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota with funding from Humanities North Dakota. And that's a wrap for today's Main Street. Thank you so much for joining us. Up next on All Things Considered, the special election of disgraced Congressman George Santos and those vying for his seat. And tonight on Kelly Corrigan wonders, is it possible to have a loving face-to-face conversation with someone who thinks you're going to hell? We talk about our political and spiritual divide. Tomorrow on Main Street, a North Dakota startup is providing 300 virtual headsets to North Dakota secondary schools, giving students the opportunity to experience careers. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow on Main Street.